This episode is brought to you by Blockdaemon. You'll be hearing all about them later from me later in the episode, but now on with the show. All right, everyone, welcome back to another weekly roundup edition of On the Margin. Today, I'm joined, as always, by my rapacious co-host, Mr. Mark Yuskel. Welcome back. Ah, thank you. I, I love it. I love it. I'm glad to be back with the adjectives. Mm-hmm. Although the disappointment is mm. it's so hot down here in North Carolina that I'm not wearing socks today. So oh, no sock reveal. But if if I were wearing socks, mm. I would definitely be wearing the Bitcoin roller coaster socks. Mm. I would absolutely, you know, be wearing those today. And I thought about it, but I was like, no, it's just too hot. So no socks today. Nice. Well, it looks like I'm coming to you from the inside of a mustard bottle. Uh, I'm not in my usual space. I'm, I'm traveling. I'm in Boston. Yeah, I like the here. green screen. Maybe we can overlay some really funky stuff later. and We'll see what we know, can do. I'll talk moving. to the head team. Yeah. Um, guys, we've got a, a fun show for you today. We're going to be doing some narrative questioning. Um, you know, during bull markets, right, narratives tend to trump facts. Uh, all of us dig into our stories. We start believing things. The hype and everything leads up. Mark and I are going to walk through some of the ones that were very popular over the course of the last year or so uh, and just see how well those things hold up. And then we got a couple of stories on you. I want to get your opinion on the A16Z raise, $4.5 billion uh, VC fund, all that fun stuff, um, which is pretty nuts. But for now, let's go through some narratives. Um, narrative number let's one that, that I would love to get your, this is more of a macro narrative, right? Here, here was the narrative that, that was getting passed around about 18 months ago. The Fed cannot possibly raise rates right? We've got this enormous debt overhang, you know, debt to GDP, you know, just public debt to GDP, something like 150% GDP, not even including household, private sector, etc. There is absolutely no way that the Fed can raise rates. Lo and behold, we do have rates creeping up. Do you agree with that narrative? Do you think there is some kind of ceiling around the neutral rate? Do you think that we're going to blast past that to fight inflation? How well has the we can't possibly raise rates narrative holding up now? You know, contrary to popular belief, mm. the new belief, I think it's actually holding up really well. Mm. They've raised 75 basis points, mm. right? Off off zero. Yeah. So they, they didn't, you know, the Fed didn't raise a lot. The market actually did the dirty work. The market took the two-year up to 2.5%. And, you know, the liquidity that got pulled out of the market wasn't the Fed. Remember, the Fed funds rate is such a, over-talked about, over-discussed nonsense. We've talked about this before. Do you borrow at Fed funds? I know I don't. And it's just, it's it's basically a way for banks to finance their balance sheet cheaply so they can, you know, try to lick, you know, get back into some semblance of, of uh, solvency after a global financial crisis. So I, I think the reality still is zero chance that we see three and a half, four percent rates because the budget doesn't balance. And the cult of Kelton is starting to weaken, right? This whole idea that you can print money infinitely and it doesn't matter is really starting to break down. And, you know, you got all kinds of things that have gone against everything that people believe about the omnipotence and all powerfulness of the Fed. We're going to clamp down on Russia. We're going to throttle their you know economy and we're going to kill their currency dollars down against the ruble this year i mean so that didn't work out so well um so there's all this stuff that, that i think you're right narratives are very powerful and people believe them but at the end of the day the fed 
I believe, is in a box still. The government can't balance their budget in any way, shape, or form. They can't finance their debt at, at higher rates. So, but the real problem, and this is the antithesis of that, that argues against myself, the problem is, yeah, no, the problem is that there are no buyers for our bonds. Nobody wants to hold bonds that we probably can't pay back and they know we're going to devalue. So the Chinese are kind of saying, no, thank you. And the Russians are like, oh, no, thank you. And even the Belgians, which was just, you know, Saudi and African money, that disappeared. So you look at the net purchases, the treasuries, pretty muted. So the only way to attract buyers of a bond is to raise the interest rate. So there is that flip side of it, which says, well, geez, if, if we can't finance our debt, well, who's going to buy it? Well, that's why we're going to have QE forever. So rates are going down. We will have rate cuts by the end of the year. You heard it here first. I'm inclined to agree with you on that because I, it's it's that exact mechanism, right? Which is the treasury can always issue new bonds to fund, right? The the uh, you know the debt servicing costs, but it yep. does lead to this kind of downward spiral because then they have to be the the Fed has to be the buyer. You know the other thing yeah. too. The other thing too I was thinking about is, uh, you know, people always say, uh, you know, Powell can't be Volcker, right? He's not going to be able to raise rates to 18 percent or whatever it is. And you know what? I would agree with you, but I also think he doesn't have to raise rates to 18%. Volcker was trying to, what, is, what does the Fed need to do, right? They, they don't have control over the supply side. They have control over the demand side. Back then, it was a very different economy. He had to jack rates way up, right, to cause those recessions to crush demand. Now, it's funny, his job's actually easier than Volcker's yeah, in a way, because you, you only have to jack rates up to like 3% before you get that recession. But the, con- the, 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 the silliness is, the comparisons to Volcker are just dumb. Mm. Right? They're just dumb on, mm. on every level. Right? Volcker didn't intend to raise to 18%. Mm. There was a mistake in the formula. They were double counting housing price increases. So mm. he was jacking up mortgage rates, which then got double counted. And, and so that's what happened. And yes, it created this crushing recession, which almost, almost defeated the greatest macroeconomic tailwind in the nation's history, where the boomers were all coming into peak purchasing age. You know, so it's it's really interesting when when you think about how these narratives get get shaped. Right? People say, "Oh, this is just like the '70s." Are you kidding me? There's nothing even remotely similar to the 70s. I mean, nothing. There, there, there's, there's a declining working age population growth, not a rising working age population growth. There's, you know, lots of overdevelopment and mal, uh, mal allocated, misallocated capital because of, of zero interest rates, right? We didn't have zero interest rates in the 60s causing malinvestment. We had a boom, Right? We had the nifty 50 and we had a uh, concentration of, of wealth in a, in a handful of stocks, which then crashed in the 73, 74. And basically the market was dead. The stock market was dead. The cover story, cover story of uh, Time Magazine, 1981, the death of equities. No self-respecting fiduciary should ever own equities again. Oh yeah, that's how it is today, Right. <laughs> oh, buy this meme stock because it's going to the moon. Uh, that's very different from never own equities again. And so nothing similar. This is so much like the 1930s after the Roaring Twenties. 
massive leverage, speculation, recession, interest rates, talking about tariffs, Smoot-Hawley, all the stuff that we did that turned a garden variety recession into the Great Depression. And then, now we got the 90-year cycle. And I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago, I can't remember where I talked about it, but 1840s, we had a depression. Same exact, exact kind of similarities, right? A decade of, of expansion with the railroads and all kinds of stuff, and speculative frenzy, and telegraph and all that kind of stuff. And boom, uh, a contraction of economic activity, depression. 90 years later, in the 30s, depression. And here we are in the 2020s. Wait a minute, we just had a decade of rampant speculation, and we're about to turn a garden variety recession through bad policies into maybe the greatest depression. I'm not, not saying that's going to happen, but it definitely could. Hmm. All right. So narrative number one, the Fed can't afford to raise rates. We're going to call that one intact still. Still being proven yeah. out, but we think it's still intact. Yeah. All right. Here's another one I've got. For you. I'm, I'm, che I'm teeing you up a little because I think I know what you're going to say. All right. Remember when COVID first happened uh, and they said, oh, you know, we're, we're lowering interest rates, but really what we're doing is pulling a decade's worth of digitization into two years. Great for technology stocks, right? 18 years later, look or uh, sorry, 18 months later. 18 we look months at, later. It feels 18 like 18 months. years. It does it feel feels like, like 18, 18 years. That's a Freudian slip. Ooh, yeah, it feels like 18 here. years. I, mean, I got more hairs to prove it. I mean, it, it feels like 18 years. Yeah. Uh, tech stocks obviously are moving in the opposite direction. Most have completely surrendered their gains, right, uh, post-COVID. How do we feel about that narrative, the, the pulling forth of the digitization narrative into the now? What do you think? Dead. 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 I mean, that one's dead. Dead, buried, gone. Yeah. That one, I need my, you know, RIP Bitcoin socks for that one. Yeah. Uh, so now I'll change my socks for the second part of the show. But um, dead. I mean, look, <laughs> you know, all of these narratives seem to never look at the current situation. Yeah, they just they just they just create this. It's like like printing money. They create it out of thin air, and they say, "Oh, this sounds good. Let, let's go with that." Well, no, you 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 can't have great returns for tech from the highest valuations in history. No mm. matter how much growth you pull forward, it was already in the price because of of misallocation of capital because of QE, and, and because of this massive movement into passive investing, which again is dumb, right? You, every time you bought an SPA 500 index fund, you had to buy 5% Apple. Didn't matter that it was going from 10, per, 10 times PE to 15 to 20 to 30 to 35 and wasn't growing. I mean, why would you pay 35 times for a company that's not growing? I don't care how good the product is, you, you just wouldn't do that. But this idea that suddenly everything was gonna be awesome, um, just never made any sense to me. And the other part that really lacked credibility to me was, so then when do you account for that gap, that chasm, mm -hmm. right? If I have two years where I'm gonna you know, eat a certain amount of food and I eat all that food in one year, does food magically appear the next year? No, it's been eaten. Mm. And so I think the same thing happened here is, where was all this growth going to come from? Well, no, people already spent the money. And if we stopped giving them free money, which we did, right? We actually had the first 
money supply, first M2 declined month over month in 144 months last month, still 8% higher year over year, which is a crazy high number, about four times what it should be. But month over month, we actually took money out of the system for the first time in you know 12 years. This episode is brought to you by Blockdaemon, the world's leading blockchain infrastructure platform. Blockdaemon's mission is simple. Make spinning up a node so easy a five-year-old could do it and so secure that any chief compliance officer in the world could sleep easy at night. In plain English, Blockdaemon allows anyone, whether you're a crypto native fund, a financial institution, a DeFi protocol, whatever, to participate in crypto more safely. For some, that can mean participating in governance. It could mean gathering real-time and accurate data. It could mean generating yield through staking. Whatever it is, when it comes to crypto, infrastructure is edge, and there's simply no better edge offered than the one from Blockdaemon. Blockdaemon supports a range of services on over 50 protocols, and that's a growing list. They have multiple layers of risk mitigation that include regional and data center diversity, 24-7 human and automated monitoring, a full-service team of engineers to avoid technical difficulties, and things like slashing insurance. In other words, they literally make it foolproof. If your organization relies on real-time, accurate data that comes from blockchains, please, please, please click the link at the bottom of this episode and go check them out. Again, it's important. Got to click the link at the bottom. Otherwise, I won't get my credit. There, there was a, um, a piece that got written. This is a crypto-specific piece, but I think it applies more broadly in general. Uh, it, uh, Chris Dixon and Eddie Lazarin of A16Z wrote this, uh, the crypto price innovation cycle. And their, their fundamental thesis was that everything begins with price action. And when price action moves up, uh, narratives kind of follow. You've got to justify. Everyone starts to ask, why is the price going up? The media kind of attention follows, more positive action, that brings more people in, et cetera. But I think the fundamental mechanism, like the takeaway for me, was everything starts with price action, then a, a narrative gets generated to to fit that price action, right? Uh, and it's crazy. I mean, it's like, I mean, look at, you know, the most recent example of this was Snapchat, uh, right? We talk a lot about Snowflake on the show. But I mean, well, first of all, Mark, I mean, you pay more. I've never seen a company... I mean, this was interesting to me that they warned, right? This isn't like earnings came out. They issued a, a warning, right? They, they filed an mm -hmm. 8K. And here, here are the exact words that they used. Sharing that the macro environment has deteriorated further and faster than we anticipated when we issued our quarterly guidance last month. Uh, yep. You know, they cited like the war in Ukraine. Uh, you know, they cited, uh, you know, global supply chains. I was like, this, you guys are freaking social media company. What, what is that? And the It's called a kitchen off. sink. It's called a kitchen sink. <laughs> Uh, uh, announcement where uh -huh. you basically take all the buzzwords that are being searched and you mm. put them all. They probably had inflation in there too, and <laughs> they do. And and then 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 you're not you're not responsible. Look, the guy who runs Snap, not my favorite person. Not I shouldn't say it on the air, right? Not a good guy. Um, and so he's never done anything wrong in his life. Even when he was doing the nasty stuff with the pictures and, oh, that wasn't my fault. Not my fault. Never his fault. So this is an example. And look, there are plenty of CEOs that have done this over time. Cisco used to do this all the time. Oh, so many things we couldn't see. So the fact that we wrote our inventory down to zero, then we bought back that same inventory at 100% profit. No, no, that's... But they actually did that, and people fell for it back in 2000. And you know what I love about being old? I mean, other than just actually being around, which is cool. Um, but uh, is I've, I've got to see these things, and there's nothing new in this world. There's not one thing new. 
It's just the same stuff over these cycles, 20-year cycles, 40-year cycles, 90-year cycles. It's always the same stuff. Yeah. I, I mean, it is, it's, it's pretty unbelievable. I, that, that's my favorite part about history as well. I mean, you could literally transplant certain situations that happened literally, I mean, forget 40 years ago or 20 years ago, thousands of years ago, uh, you know, over current Correct. situations. And it's like, ah, okay. I see that. Um, it's the best part about history. Um, yeah. Someone asked me yesterday on a, on a show, they said, you know, what, what business books would you read? I'm like none. I would just read Seneca, I, the younger quotes. Yeah. Because that's, that's, that's all the wisdom that's in those books is from Socrates, Plato, and Seneca the Younger. I guarantee you don't need to read any of the books. Mm-hmm. And they sell a lot of books, but you can get all the wisdom in a handful of quotes from Goodreads. Yeah. I, you know, honestly, you could even go back, uh, yeah, to the, to the Greek philosopher, like the Aristotles of the world. Honestly, philosophy didn't evolve that much. Post Aristotle, I would say, like uh, no, no, you're, that's a good point. Aristotle, I wrote, I actually wrote a long letter about Aristotle. Really, uh, believe it or not, um, like forty some odd pages. The guy was amazing, amazing. Mm. Yeah, incredible. And you're absolutely right. All the wisdom in investing was penned, whatever, twenty six hundred years ago or twenty nine hundred years ago, whatever you would know the date, mm. but uh, a long ass time ago. Metaphysics. Aristotle. If you want just a basic uh, understanding of like ask how to live a good life, it it didn't evolve that much from from metaphysics, metaphysics by Aristotle. So nope. give it a look nope. see. Um, all right. Move, so we're gonna say that's definitively not intact, and I agree with you. And you know what? The last thing that I'll say too. Look, man. I you know you can't have it both ways. So on the way up, no one was saying the only reason our stock price is going up is because of macroeconomic conditions and because of the new amount of money and, and all that stuff. So, you know, right. you can't, I, I mean, I get why people are doing it. I understand everybody's got a job to do, but, you know, something about that just bugs me a little bit. Uh, a, lot. A, a lot. Yeah. So we're going to say that's a not lot. intact. <laughs> so digitization was not the reason why we didn't pull forward digitization. Um, narrative number three, moving into crypto a little bit. Um, Bitcoin is the boomer coin. Um, this community has largely, right, this, uh, and this is one that I will, I will say, I'm going to put my hand up here, uh, and Sarah's right a little guilty of this. Uh, yeah, I buy Bitcoin. And so this is not a community that uh, that innovates, right? This is a, a preservation type community. They're losing market share, mind share, uh, you know, of the youth to all these other kind of new communities. What do we think about that? Where does that, how does that hold up? Totally busted. I mean, look, the idea that the base layer technology, the first use case of blockchain that likely becomes one of, if not the centerpiece of the digital age is somehow relegated to the equivalent of gold, like a boomer joke asset. That's just dumb. And and it goes to this nonsense of, if you give people free money, they become genius stock traders, right? Just the fact that I handed you money and you put it at Robinhood, you're suddenly a genius stock trader. And the problem is it's, it's like going to Vegas. If you happen to sit down at a table and you win the first hand, you're like, oh, I am so good at this. If you quit right then, you win. If you keep playing, you will lose. All of it. And that's why Robinhood's stock is down, what, 94%, something like that. And I defy people. It's funny, you don't see as many of the PL 
posts on Twitter as much lately. I just, I just haven't seen many of those. And yeah, and and I just, it, it bothers me. Well, the whole idea of, of ageism is just stupid, right? I think there are really talented young people. I think there are really talented older people. And the idea that, you know, I, I get this all the time, right? They're like, what could you possibly know about crypto? What could you know about Bitcoin? You're old. Like, what does that mean? And, and a person who's, who's young, who, who spent no time in it, do they magically have some imbued power to understand crypto if they're a healthcare worker and they never spend any time on it? You know, I don't consider my daughter a failure because she doesn't spend any time on crypto. She doesn't care about it. You know, she's a healthcare worker. But I, I struggle with this one because... Innovation for innovation's sake, not very useful. Innovation to, to create something new, awesome. Feigning innovation to create a pump and dump is abhorrent. And that's what we had, a whole bunch of. Dogecoin, Shiba. I mean, those are, those are not innovation. They are... Simple pumping ups, hex, right? I mean, being proven every day to be more and more of a Ponzi. I mean, I, I don't understand why you'd want to identify with charlatans or charlatanism to say you're cool. Mm. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think, uh, you know, Jason and I recently talked to this guy, uh, Richard... Crabe. He's the founder of Numerai. And you say he's one of those, uh, by the way, bottom, classic bottom signal here. He's an OG who's selling all of his ETH, right? He posted this video selling all of our ETH. And, uh, you know, we basically, we interviewed him and said, like, why are, you, why are you doing this? And he cited kind of the Fed and this funny money QE, right? Uh, Travis Kling's got a word like these mutant mutant JPEGs or whatever. I don't know. Mutant children of the Fed. Basically, yeah. in, in, encourages yeah. rampant capital misallocation. And that leads to human capital misallocation as well. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, people point to Dogecoin and Shiba and say the crypto market's not legitimate because of these scams. You know, what I would say is that it's it's the blight of capital misallocation leading to human capital allocation that crypto is plagued with, right? Like all these bullshit startups at ridiculous rounds and people don't have the money they thought they had and it's going to go to zero. Everyone's going to waste a bunch of time. That's not unique to crypto. Just look at what's going on in equities markets. No, nobody, 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 you know what I mean? Nobody points to the stock market and says, this is illegitimate because of these ridiculous tech companies. You know, it's honestly, it's made all of our jobs harder here. That's what I would say. Yeah. Uh. They did, they did point the finger at the stock market 20 years ago. That's when interesting. technology went to zero and Digital Island went to zero and um, art technology group went to zero and, you know, Pets.com went to zero and Webvan went to zero, which actually turned into Chewy and, and Amazon. Not, right. not the company itself, but the idea, uh, which were great ideas. They were just ahead of their time. And that's what's happening now is you have a bunch of really good ideas. Mm -hmm. They're just ahead of their time and they're ahead of, of, of adoption. It doesn't make them bad. Mm -hmm. It does make some of the people that got involved on the pump and dump stuff bad. There are some bad people, but there are bad people in every business where there's money. Real estate, plenty of bad people. Haven't mm -hmm. you seen the guy, oh, you can make riches by flipping <laughs> houses. Well, then you had the one, this poor kid. I mean, I feel bad for him. His, his life is ruined, right? The guy who was buying the house using Anchor 
um, the video that's gone viral. Uh, you know, making 20% on Anchor. I bought this billion four house and I'm only like 19 years old. Like, how did you buy a house at night? Anyway, but his life's over. I mean, and, but, but the finger pointing always goes to the easy marks. And the easy marks are the thing that the average person doesn't really understand. Right? The average person didn't understand the internet in 2000. Before that, they didn't understand cellular technology. So when you know, there was the big boom and then the crash, they didn't understand cellular. So they're pointing at those crazy you know, people like John Malone, that cowboy. He's a cowboy. He's ruining people's lives. It's made a lot of people a lot of money. But uh, and then before that, it was, you know, mainframe computers. And before that, it was I mean, literally railroad networks. You know, railroads went like this and then they went like this. And people said, oh, it's full of scammers. Well, of course, there were scammers. Anywhere where there's money, there's going to be scammers. Um, because look, the, the, the desire to have easy riches is deep-seated. Yeah. You know, I think with in terms of this narrative, I think it pretty... Uh, I'm a little torn. I, I think it it firmly doesn't hold up, but with one caveat. So what I would say is I think Bitcoin, you know, because the, the challenge with Bitcoin always is, right? This has been the, what Bitcoin, at least from a price action standpoint, has been struggling with for the last 18 months, right? Which is that when Bitcoin goes up, all the, everyone else kind of figures out, right? That crypto is going up and then all these alts and, and, and probably less valuable projects just end up going out more because people want to move even further out along the risk curve. I think where Bitcoin shines relatively and where it continues to attract its hardcore supporters are in these uh, bear markets, right? Where Bitcoin outperforms, there is a bid. Uh, I think one thing that's probably different this time is that there is deep money and there's a bid for Bitcoin, probably around maybe mid 20s, maybe low 20s, whatever it is. But I think it, it outperforms. And that's how you honestly get like the Peter McCormick's, right? Like he tweeted this whole thing about how he lost all his money speculating on altcoins and stuff like that. And now look at, uh, you know, how he feels about Bitcoin. So I think Bitcoin comes out on top now, of this. Michael, that, that again is, is, is the beautiful insight, which is Bitcoin is here. Mm -hmm. It's not going anywhere. Right. It's not going anywhere. I mean, it, it has multiple potential use cases, it likely, likely becomes, as I've described it, right, the base layer, just like TCP IP, which we're using right now. And and other things will be be around it. And and it's so it's so funny. So yeah, I, I consider myself neither fish nor fowl. I'm not a shitcoiner, I'm not a Bitcoiner. But man, when I go on these Bitcoin spaces, like, you're a shitcoiner, you're a shitcoiner, you like Ethereum, you like Avalanche. Like, shitcoins, what are you talking about? I mean, you can I can point to a, a thousand shitcoins, but but projects that actually are protocols that are solving real problems that have other things built on them, not a shitcoin. So I, I, I don't get but then then the other side, um, when I go into uh, you know. I didn't get to come to permission list this time, but but when I go to another thing like that, they're like, oh, you know, you're a maxi. You know, you don't you don't believe what we believe. I know. I'm not a maxi. <laughs> you know, I may have partners who are maxis, but I'm not a maxi. And yes, I own Bitcoin and I yes, I have the sign, but Bitcoin to me is is the most mature. Yep. Right? <laughs> All of this stuff, it's 13 years old mm -hmm. or or younger. So you're either a teenager. I used, to, I used to use this analogy all the time. How much would you pay 
for the future earnings of a 10-year-old LeBron James? <laughs> a lot, right? A lot. Right? Now, right. here's the problem. Google this tonight. Google 10-year-old LeBron James. You wouldn't have paid very much. He looked like an average kid. He did not look like the monster that he became at 14. And the monster, and I don't mean monster in the most positive way. I, I love the guy. I think he's so good for basketball. I think he's so good for the world. He's an entrepreneur. He's, I think, I love the guy. So I don't mean, I mean monster, just he's just a big, big man. And, and an amazing physical talent. I still like my Michael Jordan better. But, um, but at 10 years old, you didn't know. You just didn't know. And it's because the potential to uh, skill ratio was super high. Mature things, the skill to potential ratio goes the other way, right? There are plenty of, th IBM, IBM is a great example. What's the potential of IBM? Not, not, not very much. What's their skill? A lot. They've done a lot of good in the world for decades, almost a century. But their potential from here, in the absence of some great new leader coming in and reinvigorating, not much. What's Bitcoin's potential as a payments rail, as hard money, as a store of value, as digital gold? Huge potential. It's a 13-year-old. Think about the 13-year-olds you know. Are they really stable or are they volatile? They're volatile. Are they really accomplished, like perfect? Or are they rough around the edges and need some polish? And Ethereum's younger, Avalanche is younger. I, I, I just, I don't get why we think everything has to be finished. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I've started to, uh, I mean, one thing maybe I will, like I used to have this idea of why does it need to be so tribal? Why do we, why do we need to, to be like that? Um, and, uh, you know, I guess my answer, however many years later, is that I wish it wasn't because that's not how I operate. But it is I, I, I do not think it is going to get less tribal, to be honest, from here, if you made me bet. Um, nope. And I, and I would it's say... it's definitely not... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. The, the last thing I would say is, like, the reason why I caveated this by saying I think Bitcoin's going to do extremely well relative to other sectors of crypto over the next 18 months to two years or however long this bear market lasts. Um, but I, I do think that it's like I'm glad... I'm glad that that kind of hardcore, unyielding, you know, just very principled community sort of exists. But I also don't necessarily think that's the community that embraces innovation the most in crypto. And so the trade-off there that you'll get is you will get Ponzi's, you will get grifters, you will get people who are way out on their skis. But probably still, I think innovation over the long haul is a good thing to optimize for, even with but, all but of its myriad drawbacks. Here's the thing. And I'm gonna get I'm gonna get so much shit for this, so I, I even hesitate to say it. Hodling is not enough. Mm. No, you're it's a not. Slacker. Mm. If you are a hodler, you're a slacker. Are you so you, you you got lucky, you got in early, great. Maybe you were a genius, you got in early, great. But if you're not doing something to help build the capability of this teenager, you're a slacker. And People say, no, no, I'm just, I'm trying to protect my money from the fiat fiasco. Fine, I'm doing that too. But I'm actively trying to find ways to make all of the communities better, investing across lots of different things. And, and look, if, if it comes down to the fact that 
there's going to be a tribal warfare of are we going to build everything on layer twos and threes above Bitcoin or are we going to have other L1s and, and twos and threes? I, I don't really care. The world will be better if we figure it out. The world will be better when, not if, when, when, when we figure it out because we will figure it out. And, and this is all go in this direction. And I... I just think this idea that, well, if we just hodl hard enough, it'll all be great. <laughs> the sad part is it will. And that's going to prove me wrong, right? And what I mean by that is, yes, the Fed and the other central banks are going to screw it up so badly that the value of Bitcoin in other currencies is going up. It just is. Yeah. You know, I actually think even I totally agree with what you're saying. I do not think hodling is enough. Uh, I actually even just think from a principle standpoint in crypto, uh, one thing we'd probably do well to shake ourselves out of is this idea that uh, being early is like the best thing. I understand it because crypto has gone through, had to go through so much ridicule and like it survived as a community, I think, by with that kind of impulse. But I think we need to shift as a community from, uh, you know, idolizing being early to something to contributing good work and like what i what i'll like not pointing out any projects exactly. but you know there are a lot of mechanisms if you look at crypto and like how staking works which is basically i'm really simplifying here but you know if you get in early you stake and you get more and more rewards imagine if that's how it worked in a company imagine if you started and it's like hey you early employees here you take the equity and your equity is going to compound so you get a greater and greater percentage of the project it should be the opposite of that. You should be disseminating. You should have a, you, you get in, you start early, you get your reward for taking the risk, and then you get less equity of a bigger pie. The, all the incentives in crypto are like exactly inverse of how they should be. Oh my be. God. I, I, again, I hope people now rewind the tape. No, it's not a tape. Rewind the tape and listen to the genius of Michael Ippolito. Stop. stop, stop. That, no, oh no, no, I'm deadly serious. That, that is how the world works. Mm -hmm. The best companies in the world do not squeeze their equity tight. They give it away. Yeah. They give it away. They mm -hmm. give it away to venture capitalists who can help them grow and build. They give it away to other investors, strategic partners, to great employees. Steve Jobs did not own 100% of Apple. No. Yeah. I agree. But he inspired others to want to make the pie gigantic and they mm -hmm. succeeded and holding tight and not wanting to share and wanting everyone else to make your hoard go up not enough not enough not enough i agree you gotta build you gotta build or biddle 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 b-u-i-d-l not hodl i agree build. And here's something that I, I really genuinely believe, and I didn't really believe it when I first came to this. All these people talking about bear market is good. I'm so glad we're in a bear market. And I remember listening to these people being like, okay, yeah, right, dude. Yeah, I just watched your half your net worth go down. Yeah, I'm sure you're stoked about it. I believe them now. I, I believe it because I'm like genuinely relieved about it. Uh, so this, this is a great time to to be a biddler. And well, winter, not uh, we uh, <laughs> people commented lots of times, you know, nine months ago when we uttered the ugly word crypto winter the first time and they said no it's not no it's not 
I will give you credit. I was more skeptical. I think you called it a pretty dead right, and I was so yeah. Props. No, no, no. But, but and I'm not. It's not. It's, this is not about a pat on the back. This is my point. Is winter's good? Winter's mm-hmm. necessary. We can't have a year without winter. Mm-hmm. Right? You don't get spring without winter. You don't get summer without spring. We need to cleanse. We need to get rid of the Ponzi's. We need to get rid of the bad actors. We need to focus our energy on what's right and what's good and what's working. And and I'm actually not the best about this because I have a massive ADD, but focus is the greatest superpower in the world. Focusing on what's right to do is is beyond a superpower, right? It's superpower squared. So if you can figure out of the myriad things you can spend your time on, what's the best match to your passions and your ideals and your goals and spend your focus on that, holy moly, is it powerful. And that's what I love about my job. That's what I get paid to do. I get paid to find people who completely irrationally think they can change the world, right? And all progress, all progress, I can't remember who said this, but all progress requires the irrational person because the rational person just thinks everything has to be like it is. They can't imagine the unimaginable. They can't imagine a world where we don't have a fed wire, where we don't have ACH, where we don't have Visa and MasterCard, where we don't have banks as we know them. All of these things can and will happen and the world will be a better place because of it. So if you can find a way to channel your energy and passion towards those projects, it's awesome. I agree. I've got one more narrative for you here. Let's see how well well it held up. Although it's kind of already answered itself. Super cycle. <laughs> this is the super cycle. Now, that many of you ever think of that from the Suzu thing. But here, here's the other one. That I, and I I was wrong about this. And I, I think you've answered this, but I think you're right. Uh, this cycle is not going to be as long or as deep uh, as previous bear markets, right? Reason being, two reasons, right? We, didn't, we never got that blow off top. Uh, we never got the insane levels of ROI that we had in previous bull runs. We don't deserve as deep. And the fundamentals, the fundamentals, right? way ahead of where we were. Uh, so we don't deserve as deep of a bear market. How are we holding up from your perspective on that narrative? Um, on the length, total fail. It's mm-hmm. going to be exactly the same length. Mm-hmm. And you know, the new money didn't change that. The new people didn't change that. It's a four-year cycle. It's, it's baked into the code. And this will, Bitcoin doesn't drive everything. Yes, it does. Okay, it just does. It's, it's, I, I talked about this, right? It's like Saudi Arabia. King, crown prince, and all the other princes that hate each other. There's Bitcoin, Ethereum, and all the other princes that hate each other. And so, um, or all the other protocols that hate each other. So, on the, on the duration, total fail, right? It's not going to be shorter. It's going to be the same. We're probably a little past the equinox, right? We're a little, little more than halfway. So that's good news. Uh, on the depth, we're okay. On the altcoin side, some some real damage. But for Bitcoin, we're at 52-ish, something like that. That's less than 84. Now, 
Could we see 84? Sure. Sure. I'm, I'm, I'm really afraid, and I've been tweeting this out. I am afraid the descending triangle. I hate the descending triangle, right? Where you have a, where you have a floor, a flat floor. It's not a wedge, but it's a flat floor. And you ping that floor over and over, but each bounce is lower. And so you get this descending triangle. Now, if you break out of it, whew, awesome. But if you break through it, we're, you're toast. And we're going down another another 50, which would be 75 total. And I, I, I don't think it has to happen, but I, I had this pit in my stomach that we're like in September 18 and November 14th or 13th. I can't remember the day. And we were at six and in like five heartbeats, we were at 3,200. And I, I fear, and that was this descending triangle. And I just, it's because there's just no, there's no support between 10 and, and 30. And so if we, and it's really 29.5. If we break that 29.5, which we're already under, um, if we break it consistently, it, it gets ugly. So, you know, Menard calling for eight. I get where he gets that number. He, he drew a line back to where the start was. I don't think it goes that low. I really don't. I think Scott Minard's range of calls from Bitcoin for last year, it's an admirable yeah. thing. Honestly, I it just is, stand in right, awe. Right. I stand in awe yeah. of the yeah. range that guy's publicly put out. 8K to 600K. 600 to 8? Turns out forecasting's not that hard if you're willing to make the range wide enough. <laughs> like, yeah, I well, could definitively no, say that Michael, too. It's funny you say that. Have you ever done the test where they ask you 10 questions mm. and you have to predict with 100% accuracy something that you have no knowledge of? Mm-mm. Okay. So, okay, we'll do it. The length of the Nile is between X and X. Oh, God. Give me give me your range with 100% accuracy. <laughs> One mile and a million miles. See? Okay, you win. Ding, 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 ding. Michael yeah. is a genius. I told you. Everyone does not do that. They say, oh, um, between 1,000 and, and 3,500. Like, why would you do it? The answer is zero and infinity yeah, for every yeah. question, right? Yeah. Height of the Empire State Building, distance to the moon, zero and infinity. That's the only way you can have 100% accuracy hmm. or confidence. But everybody, because their ego says, oh, I know this. I, hmm. I know it's only 2,000 miles. So one to 3,000. I'm, I'm comfortable. And you, give me, and you give them a chance, right? You say, are you sure? Hmm. Are you sure? And nobody gets it right, right? They can't even do the countries in Africa. How many mm. countries in Africa? I, I, you're, you're, you're put, I'm not even going to try. I'm not even going to touch that one with the 10 foot. Zero and no, infinity. No, but everybody Zero says, I've heard, I've heard people say eight, and I've heard people say, you know, 200. Mark, I want you to call out the person that said there were eight countries in Africa. I got to know who this person is. I know. I got to know who it is. I mean, it's 54. <laughs> but, but people, at, uh, my other favorite one, my Come other favorite on. one. How many ears of corn on a corn stalk? Oh, God. I'm going to sound like such a moron. Um, no. How many ears? How many ears? How many ears? Like we're talking like... like How uh, many ears? Like Think the actual... The word ears. Like a cock. I don't even know the what an ears. ear... I don't even know what an ear is on when it comes to corn. An ear. 
Yeah. Year. None. How many years? How many years? Two. None. Two. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> People say like eight. Yeah. I heard somebody say forty. <laughs> it's not a corn bush, right? It's a stalk with two, sometimes two three. Two ears. Forty. That's years why they're called ears. Yeah, pretty dilapidated. But people, head. people say I had someone tell say forty. Mm. Like, have you ever seen a corn stalk? Right. <laughs> I mean, there are two ears on one on each side. But but the point is, overconfidence and ego just drive everything. And mm-hmm. and so yes, we're in a bear market. And yes, none of us know when exactly it's going to end. And. And it's complicated this time because we have the greatest leverage cycle in the history of markets. And that leverage is causing Bitcoin prices to be weaker than they otherwise would be because people are having to sell their Bitcoin to cover their margin calls on their other stuff like Peloton and Zoom and and now, unfortunately, Snowflake, uh, my, my son's poor company. Um, but uh, it... it, it um, Companies shouldn't sell at 20, 30, 50, 100, 200 times revenues. They should never sell for that. Not ever. And anyone who bought them at those levels is stupid. Literally stupid. And I'll say it to your face. And be like, you shouldn't say that. I guess I should. Because I had this Monday, this Monday with my own team, (laughs) had a debate. My own team. I love the way. Like like a debate. (laughs) They're like, well, one of our managers says MongoDB is cheap. I'm like, why? Well, it's down 75%. I'm like, okay. MongoDB um, is trading at 20 times revenue. Not sales, not earnings. I mean, not, not earnings, revenue, sales, 20 times. And doesn't make money. Yeah. And, and I'm like, no, it's not cheap. And so here's the difference. You know, someone asked, actually, I was on a board meeting right before this call. Mm. And one of the other board members uh, said, all right, I got a question for you guys. Is Bitcoin cheap here? And the first guy's like, no, it's not cheap. You know, there's going to be all this liquidations and there's a whole bunch of stuff that's going to happen. And I'm like, that's not what he asked you. He didn't ask you. Right? He said, is Bitcoin cheap? And I said, look, we can actually model the value of the Bitcoin network. Mm. We've been doing it since 2014. And we got a pretty good model and it's been plus or minus a few percent of the value for eight years. Mm. That, that model, and we had Tim on with us to talk about it and it's around 33K today. Okay. Somewhere 32, 33K. So at 28, five or whatever we are. Cheap. It's cheap. Now, the cool thing, it could get cheaper. Mm-hmm. It's only been this cheap 6% of the time. In its whole life, six percent of the time, it's been this cheap relative to its its fair value. So, equities, on the other hand, have only been this expensive relative to their value. Eight percent. They're still more expensive than ninety-two percent of the time of all history. And so, the problem is if stocks have another cliff, will Bitcoin get more liquidations and hit that price that you said? Certainly possible. Now, the flip side of it is, I do think there are an increasing number of people who are asking the question that this board member just did, well, if it's cheap, then I should start buying some, right? Yep. 
And the big sovereign wealth should start buying some, right? Yep. And the big pension fund should start buying some, right? And Fidelity should allow it to go into retirement accounts. Yep. And so I think there's more protection against the precipitous fall except for that damn descending triangle. So I'm 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 a little nervous. Yeah, I think um I don't know. I, I've got no special insight on this on this on this either. I will just say uh yeah, I think maybe I was just in retrospect, because nobody ever calls this out. If you if you listen to every podcast and FinTwit at face value, you'd think everyone called everything. And I, I will just say, like I hand up. I I I had the wrong idea on this one, uh, and I think I was being too too optimistic about it. So, yeah, it could go lower for sure, but um, who knows? I want to get your opinion before we end on, uh, as a VC yourself, the four point five billion raise from a sixteen C. So four and a half billion on top of what? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's commendable. Look, right? I, I'm in awe. I, yeah. I'm in awe. Yeah, Look, I, I'm in this business. I I know how hard it is to raise money. Um, I'm. I'm friendly. I won't say I'm friends, but I'm friendly with Scott Cooper, um, who's one of their general partners. Um, I'm in awe. I think Chris and his team are spectacular. I think they have earned the trust of the greatest pools of capital in the world. And they paint this picture of the golden age of investing in in crypto. It's a little strong, but, but I don't disagree, right? Raising money today, awesome. Now, the fund they raised two years ago, or not even two years ago, one year ago, tough entry point. This one could be one of the greats. Could be one of the greats. Now, to do early stage, they said they were going to do early stage with a billion five. Not so much. Not so much. To do true early stage investing, you got to write small checks. There's no way they're going to put 300 companies in their portfolio. Just, that was my question. Think. Okay, th- that's my question to you. So, guys, listeners, four and a half billion, one point five going into. I thought they said seed. One point five going to yeah. seed, uh, seed. The rest going to just whatever. Um, how how are they going to do that? Because I mean, even even writing, let's say, million dollar checks, right? Which maybe is the norm for crypto. Maybe remember what happened last time in the bear, right? All these companies you can't minimum, write million right? dollar checks, They're, right? Then you got to write fifteen hundred checks. That, that's what you I'm. Can't do that. That's what I'm saying. They got to write five, even if they write five million dollar checks, right? And you're going to take twenty percent of the company. You're talking twenty five million dollar valuation for an idea, right? That's not a healthy environment. This is not a healthy. Environment. That's what I'm saying. And, and we've had this problem. In 2000, and I was very vocal. You can actually find a Fortune magazine where I'm on the, the, the you know full page picture of me, um, which they actually made me look mean. This is so weird. They're like, "We want you to look angry." I'm like, no, I'm not angry. What do you know? And for an hour and a half, they made me turn all these ways, and they finally tricked me. It turns out, if you go like this and you look sideways, you look angry. Yep. <laughs> Total trick, and I was duped. And so now I always make sure I'm looking forward when I take a picture. Because if you look nuts. sideways, you look angry. Mm. And and I got in this debate with this guy. I said, you can't do early stage investing with a billion dollars. He says, well, of course we can. I'm like, well, no, you can't. It's just mathematically not possible. And he said, well, let, let's just, you know, and I, I'm not accusing A16Z of this. Don't get me wrong. But this guy said to me, um, well, look, I've done the math. And at $800 million, I make more in management fees than I do on carry. Like, did, did he just say that out loud? Like, what? And then and then he went further. This is the crazy part, Michael. Then he said, 
And let's face it, this is a game of enriching the general partner, not the limited partner. <laughs> like, what? Did you really just say that? Now, now I'm going to tell a bad story myself. So when that fund lost 85% of the money, I might have done a little happy dance. I might have. Not, not because I was happy that people lost money, but this guy was such a jerk and so arrogant and so antithetical to the spirit of venture capital. And look, I have nothing but admiration for A16Z. Nothing but admiration. Full, from top to bottom, great people. If anyone can do it, they can. I, I, I find it hard to do the math on putting a billion and a half dollars into seed. I, I don't think it's healthy for the environment. I don't think it's healthy for entrepreneurs. And here's, I'm gonna leave you with one story. And I may have shared this before, but there was a very famous venture capitalist that I knew years ago. The only negative about him is with Dookie. But other than that, he was a really good guy. And um, I think I've told this story before, but, but we got talking. He says, you know, the reason you need small funds to do venture is it's like being a family in a budget. When you're a young family, and you want to go out to dinner, you save up for months, you drop the kids off with the parents, you go out, you, you know, split an appetizer, split an entree, each get dessert, have seven cups of coffee, spend four hours, and it's glorious. It's awesome. When you get a little wealthier, you want to go out to dinner, throw the kids in the back of the car, you go to McDonald's, and it sucks. Because you can, anytime you want. And I think that's the problem. When you have too much money, you'll do everything. And everything is not the right answer. And so I think some discipline, like when you're a founder, bootstrapped companies do way better than overfunded companies, full stop. It doesn't mean an overfunded company can't be successful. There aren't very many examples of it, but it, but it can happen. Bootstrapped companies are the best because you actually have to be creative. You actually have to be lean. You actually have to, anyway, so I, but I applaud, I applaud them. I am, I am privileged to be in the same industry as them. I, I think they're great for, for our industry. They do great work and uh, I'm, I'm very, I, I congratulate them heartily. My, I had two, like two, I know we're running low on time here, but just two quick things, which is one, I mean, is that enough money to like set a valuation floor? Can they just be a, a per, almost like a perpetual bidder, right? If, if you're saying yeah. they're not, they're not going to, they can't really invest less than 5 million and they don't want to take yeah. more than 20%. Well, like you do the math, right? I mean, is that the floor for like what you're going to raise at? Mm -hmm. Uh, and for seed, yeah. that's, that's no, no, really it, high. It absolutely, it absolutely can. It absolutely will. And and unfortunately, um, anytime there's too much money, you have misallocation of capital. Full stop. Right. right. Doesn't mean they won't have huge wins. And it doesn't mean that those investors won't do great. Um, there's an interesting thing in venture capital, that there is a persistence of winners. In, in most asset management business, there's re a reversion to the mean. If you're in the top quartile one year, you'll be in the bottom quartile another year. And, and there's this, this, you know, everything goes to average. In venture, there's uh, persistence. Um, and so the top quartile stay top quartile. And it's because once you become top quartile, the founders, the best founders go to you. So they will have an abundance of the best talent seeking them out to be partners. And that's why Sequoia is Sequoia and Benchmark's Benchmark and, and uh, Andreessen's Andreessen. So, and I say, look, you know, I spell my name with a K, he does with a C. He invented Mosaic, I didn't. So I, I, I understand why people love 
Mark Andreessen and and the firm, and 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 Chris is is a very special investor. So, um, yeah, so I'm really happy for him. It's tremendous. I mean, I think uh, you know during bear markets, those those more permanent sources of capital they get us through, right? Uh, and, and to end it on a positive note, uh, you know, back when we went through, well, I think about our business in general, right? There was only one. There was like Coinbase, right? That was the big company, and then there were a bunch of little companies that were just starting to get. Founded at that, like the fire blocks and the BlockFi. Now, you know, I, I don't know exactly in terms of employees, but BlockFi, Fireblock, these are companies that are big as there are, there are 40 companies that are as big as Coinbase was last time, you know? So, yeah, yeah I think yeah. there's some things that are different yeah. this time for sure. Yeah, look, and, and the other thing, and this is, you know, back to my hashtags, hashtag probably a fad. It's probably a fad that a company just raised four and a half billion dollars to invest in the digital asset ecosystem. And you can ignore it if you want. I'm not. I, we've talked about this. I knew that this would happen to some degree. The other thing I was wrong on this in this this time is just that I thought that people would say, okay, it's real now, right? We're not going to call this just a scam again. And I'm like, dude, did nope. you see that? The, nope. I tweeted this. This came right from, sorry, but this came from a pretty mainstream media outlet. And it was like, see, basically, I'll paraphrase. You can go to my Twitter. The, the, the It was basically like, see, told you this was a scam. We, you know, we are the editorial board of this big mainstream media outlet. And you know what? The only thing I can say I is- I tweeted the same thing. Yeah. That is, that is the worst piece of funded journalism. That is not an opinion piece. That is bought and paid for by the traditional investment firms to say, oh, I told you. So just stay in your mutual funds and pay us fees. That's what I, that is. Look, whatever, however it's happening, thank you. Honestly, thank you, yeah. man. I thank appreciate you. it. Right. I appreciate it, man. Amen. I thank you for the two years or three years All or right. however long we have to not compete. All right, Mark, no. this has been I a gotta, ton of fun. I got to run, but look, as always, best hour of the week. We should have spent two, but but we both got other stuff to do and we got to give the production team time. We so do. enjoy the long weekend. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, look, I am I am so grateful for the people that, that spend the time uh, listening to the two of us banter back and forth. Me too. As much as I enjoy it, I I, uh, I really am grateful and appreciative of people who who spend their precious time to to join us. Me too. I would say that as well, guys. Thank you so much for listening, Mark. I will see you same time next week, my friend. Cheers. Enjoy right. the long weekend. See you. All right. Thanks. You too.